Gabriele Cassini, podcast interview, take two. I'm Heidi Berkey. And I'm Rachel Goebel. And this is the Ethical Storytelling Podcast. Gotta keep it fun. (laughs) Welcome to the Ethical Storytelling Podcast Storyteller Series. We're interviewing filmmakers, photographers, and writers in the NGO or impact space to learn how they apply or have failed at applying ethical storytelling in their work. Today, I have the honor of talking with Gabriele Casini, a French-Italian documentary photographer and video producer who advocates for more ethical and people-centered communications in the development and humanitarian sectors. To achieve ethical storytelling, we need to give the chance to people to speak for themselves. We need to give them uh, the tools and the independence to be able to do that and try to take ourselves out of it to become an instrument and not the protagonist that then is praised back at home because, oh, you're so good, you're so brave, you go to these places where nobody goes and you uh, become a voice for all these people, right? I think that these people are fully capable of speaking for themselves. It's just about giving them the chance to be, to be heard. We don't have all the answers, so join us in this conversation. You know, um, one of the foundational things about what started ethical storytelling was uh, a few of us even gathering around talking about those shared moments where we've all been there and realized that story was not being told for the benefit of the person's stories who are being told, but for the organization. And I'm wondering if there's a specific example you'd feel comfortable sharing of a moment that you even participated in that was a teaching moment for you of how you wanted to do things differently? Uh, Yes. Uh, So one of the things, I I wouldn't uh, quote a specific moment, but mostly I'd say a general tendency. I would say that the organizations that I had the chance to work with, uh, sometimes they had the tendency to overuse uh, and this is a classic, let's say, tendency, but to overuse images of children. And uh, this often happened in uh, circumstances where maybe using their image was not in the best interest of the child themselves. Uh, And seeing that, uh, even though personally I tried to raise the topic and say, okay, maybe we should not uh, use these children as a token, uh, we should not uh, use them this way. We should maybe tell their individual stories. We should maybe, uh, first of all, talk to their parents, you know, mm-hmm. the basic things. Uh, but then realizing that not all the time this kind of uh, uh, reaction was heard and that uh, clicks and uh, uh, likes uh, uh, were valued more than uh, the integrity of the story itself. So that's when it clicked to me. If I really feel the need to work towards a more ethical storytelling or to try to give my little contribution contribution to well, changing the way, uh, the mainstream way in which uh, people in uh, the, let's say, in a in the more, let's say, complicated or weaker power relation to a society uh, have, then uh, 
then it would be more effective to do it independently from the outside. And mm-hmm. this goes against what people might think, uh, I would say, uh, from what you always hear, that if you want to change something, you need to do it from the inside. And yes, on one side, that is true. But at the same time, the inside gives you so many constraints and uh, uh, so many other dynamics to uh, be part of that focusing on that specific task is sometimes impossible. It's much easier to, uh, well, to be asked to come inside as an outsider, I mm-hmm. think. Do you think it's possible to be inside an organization and maintain the standards that even um, you've been able to develop and hold to independently? Uh, I definitely think it's possible, but uh, for the way that I work, for me, it became easier to do it uh, independently Mm -hmm. because uh, then I, first of all, could work for different organizations because when you're inside one organization, it's very easy to develop that sort of tunnel vision where you know very well how that organization works. You know very well where the shortcomings and the positive sides are, but you do not have this uh, broader view that tells you how the more general landscape outside of that is and whether or not what you're doing is also reflecting what is happening outside or is just an internal dynamic. So I, I felt that for me, to have the capacity to have this broader view and understanding, it was necessary to be able to be independent and to participate to different projects with different organizations at different times. So now that you've been uh, working out on your own for quite some time, what type of stories are you typically drawn to or find yourself working in, both in photography and in video? Well, I'd say that it's a wide variety, but lately what has been a big focus of my work has been migration. Mm. And, uh, well, partly because of uh, my origin, I am uh, half Italian, half French, and uh, migration is a massive topic within Europe, and I feel very personally touched by it because of the policies and politics of my countries of origin and of Europe in general as a European citizen. So I feel like I perceive that this sort of objectification and exploitation of different topics has been brought to a whole different level by uh, massive uh, media attention and political agendas throughout Europe. And I decided that I wanted to be part of changing that discourse as well. because I feel, again, I feel very strongly about it. I feel like I'm directly involved. And if I don't do something about it, then I'm responsible of all the things that will happen. Well, part of the problem at the same time. So, uh, yes, I, I think that uh, for this, my approach has been very much on the, on the personal level. What are the specific experiences of the different people that I have been talking to? And how can we convey them in a way that might contribute to uh, well, rehumanize a group, a whole group of people. We're talking about millions and millions of people on the move mm-hmm. that now are being used as scapegoats for all the political, social, and economical problems that we have, that we are experiencing in our Western societies. 
So in capturing stories of migration, oftentimes I would expect that you would be in moments with people that could be very vulnerable, very uh, heightened, intense, um, could even be life-threatening at moments, uh, whether it's being rescued. I know you've done some photography around that. How in those moments, when you're someone who might look or speak differently than the people you're photographing, how do you approach people in very vulnerable moments um, where a lot of fear or mistrust could be just the foundation from which they're, they're viewing you? How do you reach into those intimate moments, um, even if it is like a quick exchange? Yeah, I think that uh, approaching them in the most human way as possible is very important. I always try not to uh, start photographing my subjects immediately. For example, I, even if we have little time available, I try to establish a relationship with them uh, in a way that uh, tries to minimize as much as possible the power relation between us. Because unfortunately, the way things are, there is a power relation between uh, the either the freelancer or the uh, NGO worker, often from Western countries, and the people that have lost everything. Mm -hmm. So, and that see you, they might see you as the person who has helped them survive a harrowing journey, and they might feel like they owe you something. They might feel like they even owe you their lives. And I, I think it's extremely important to establish that relationship where they understand that it's not like that. They don't owe us anything. We are there as human beings meeting other human beings, and uh, that's the way we should relate to each other. So it, it, I think it's all about dialogue and trying to talk to people as people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I see that often is very, very helpful in the breaking that initial fear and uh, lack of trust that naturally you have when uh, your past months or even years have been made of uh, torture, imprisonment, enslavement and all sorts of abuses. Mm -hmm. So, And then, of course, making them uh, part of the creative process, which is the storytelling, whether it's done through photographs, videos, or uh, writing articles. So asking their point of view, asking what are the things that are important to them, what kind of aspects they, they want to show the world, what are their messages, and making and incorporating all these elements within the final product. So making sure that their voice is heard in a way that they feel comfortable with, that they feel it's dignified, and that they feel it accurately represents uh, themselves and their communities if they speak about their communities. Mm -hmm. And again, I spent a total of nine months on uh, search and rescue boats in the Mediterranean. And uh, in many situations, you're dealing with real emergencies. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that taking an active part to these operations. I mean, yes, of course, your job there is to take photographs and to film, but there are instances in which you just need to ditch your camera and help people. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to do that and say, okay, I'm going to take less photos, I might have a bit less footage, but the thing I'm going to get is going to be much better because, of course, I share an experience with these people. 
I establish a relationship with them. And uh, I, I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. We're talking about how the topics that you are focused on are are highlighted in the news worldwide. And there's definitely a stereotype, particularly around migration. And then obviously, I living in the US, we are constantly looking at immigration as well. And how do you approach these stories and find ways to break stereotypes through that and to engage people in a different perspective on something that they they might think they already know a lot about just because it's all over the media. Yeah, I think for me, for my uh, workflow or at least process of uh, working in this situation, what I do is usually try to under, to read as many news uh, clippings or to listen to as many news as I can about the specific topic and try to understand what is the language that is being used by the media. Uh, what are the implications of this language? Is this language in a certain way dehumanizing and objectifying people, even if not consciously, but as a byproduct? And they can give you a very concrete example about this. Uh, for the Mediterranean uh, migration, whether it's in Greece or uh, tr- between Libya and Italy, people are usually referred to as migrants. That's the big umbrella term that is used for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my communication pieces or photos when captioning or filming about it, I try to avoid that as much as I can, because I personally think that it has, it has reached a point where the term migrant is too abstract. It has become like a statistic. And uh, then I try to refer to people, to the individuality of these people involved and try to peek on that. So trying to uh, make out individual stories out of what otherwise is perceived largely as a generalized umbrella term and a statistic. You, on your website, you also say that you like to use story to bridge the distance between people and help them understand each other's realities. How have you seen that actually happen? Yes. Again, uh, I would bring an example from uh, Mediterranean migration. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, uh, it was very interesting to, uh, for example, we had many cases where we had families from Syria or Libya that had escaped uh, their respective conflict areas with luggage just like we could bring on an airplane, right? They had their uh, little carry-on baggage and then the bigger uh, luggage that they had with them. And I think focusing on that aspect, so showing um, the fact that they had packed what they had, what they considered to be important, and then trying to understand what these important things that they brought with them were, was uh, really uh, successful in making uh, people feel like that could be me. Because then you get a glimpse into their lives, you see what is important to them and how they went through the mental process of packing what they needed in an emergency, which is very similar to what we would do. Just throw the most important things and the most useful things for us in a couple of luggages that we have available and flee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that philosophy in particular is something that I am very personally drawn to because um, it was a... a 
a discovery for me that really changed the way that I approach storytelling and led me on this path to committing more towards ethical storytelling was this notion of universal truth and what it is that this person experiences that is at the most foundational element an experience that I can understand and relate to and finding that personally through the way that I have shifted and started to tell storytelling from that perspective has made people identify more with the people they're watching rather than have pity for them you know it's that that's slight shift that makes people more connected um which I think is the beautiful job of us as storytellers to help connect people around the world absolutely and I think when it comes to showing suffering there is only that much that people allow themselves to take in because when it comes to suffering we are surrounded by images of it constantly in the media uh, online all the time mm-hmm. and we get saturated very easily because it would be sometimes even really harmful to take in all these powerful emotions. So I I think conveying messages about realities that contain suffering in one of their elements, but shifting it more towards a relatable, uh, as you were saying, aspect of it is, uh, especially today when we're, again, oversaturated by all this imagery, is very important to make people uh, care about it. So what does ethical storytelling mean to you? For me, ethical storytelling is completely linked to empowerment. And to achieve ethical storytelling, we need to give the chance to people to speak for themselves. We need to give them uh, the tools and the independence to be able to do that. And try to take ourselves out of it to become an instrument and not the protagonist that then is praised back at home because, oh, you're so good, you're so brave, you go to these places where nobody goes and you uh, become a voice for all these people, right? Mm-hmm. I think that these people are fully capable of speaking for themselves. It's just about giving them the chance to be, to be heard and becoming a tool for them uh, to speak up and to bring up what is important to them. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for you to be an instrument? in those situations? I think it's a struggle against ego Mm. because uh, I think we live in a day and age where our lives are constantly portrayed and broadcasted to the world through social media. And uh, your life is perceived to be as good as what you put out. And from the moment that your uh, online presence about yourself is not very felt online, then you become invisible, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, on a personal level, is a total, uh, sorry, not total, but a constant uh, struggle to fight against that feeling that I want to be part of the spotlight. Like, it's natural for every single human being, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's putting that on the side and say, okay, but what is important here? It is more important, from my point of view, to give a platform to people. So being an instrument means lending out uh, your specific expertise and uh, putting yourself out of the frame, but being behind it, not as uh, the main uh, focus, 
but as uh, what contributes to make it possible. One of the values we have at Ethical Storytelling is, is the fact that we're not experts on this, that this is a continually learning process, that we're always refining the way we approach it in, in our pursuit of ethical storytelling. How do you maintain that posture or continue to find ways of learning and improving the way that you approach your work? As you say, yeah, we are learning constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I don't think any of us can uh, claim to be the expert in this field, especially from uh, our backgrounds and, uh, well, the privilege of bringing that most of us had. So now I'd say that the most important thing, at least for me, is to keep the dialogue with people that uh, I am uh, portraying in my work to keep on talking to them, to approach every single job as uh, something totally new and totally individual with its own uh, specific characteristics and to keep in mind that the story is not mine. I will help tell it, but it's not my story. So I need to keep on talking and talking and talking and exchanging with the people that actually can claim ownership over that story. So I would say dialogue is the most important thing. Not coming in blindly work, shoot a lot of photos, film everything without talking to anybody and come out, but constantly engaging with the people that you are working with. Are there any specific topics you'd like to see us create more um, webinars or podcast series focused on in, in relation to ethical storytelling? I think that uh, what I'd really like to see is, and I think you're getting there, is growing, growing, but a vibrant community of like-minded people that every day try to learn more about this and try to implement ethical storytelling in their work. Mm. So more occasions where people can come together and discuss this. Mm. So uh, maybe... A format that is even a bit more open than a webinar, but a more of an interaction questions and answers, just discussions and throwing out ideas, discussing them, and uh, yeah, having being open to discuss things that can be difficult to discuss yes. as well. So having these sort of roundtables uh, with open floor, I, I think that'd be incredible. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. We that is one thing we are trying to navigate is. Now that we've seen there are a plethora of people around the world who are have already been discussing this in their local communities, but also want to be connected to a larger community, it's finding ways to make that happen beyond um, the Internet <laughs> and make it tangible and in person. So I think a roundtable would be a great way in different locations around the world for us to, to bring people together. Absolutely, and it would be also an incredible learning experience mm-hmm. for all involved, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the suggestion. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with the community or with listeners? Uh, no, I think we touched on all the important topics. What I really hope is that, uh, yes, as I just said, we'll see more and more people wanting to take part to the discourse and uh, developing uh, the depth to which we understand ethical storytelling further. 
So to keep engaged, to keep on believing that that is possible and to convince a big organizations that since they're so big, they have the power to change uh, the way the audience perceives messages and images. And uh, I, I think we there is also a responsibility to have the courage to embrace different ways of working and not stick to the old and tried ones just because they work in specific ways. Hey folks, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. You should check out Gabrielli's work at gcproductions.org. You can also hear more about his approach to photography by listening to his presentation on our latest webinar, Ethical Storytelling How-To for Storytellers, which is available for download on the Ethical Storytelling website. When you're done with that, be sure to subscribe to our mailing list. And most of all, tell your friends about ethical storytelling. It's small and a labor of love. We all do this because we want to see change. So help us spread the word and tell your family and friends. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to everyone that helped on the show this week. You all the listeners for tuning in. Lauren Ellis for web support. Music by Broke for Free. And most importantly, Kyle Hara for producing and editing each episode. Be sure to join us next week as we chat with filmmaker and future health counselor, Ashley Gutierrez. We'll see you next week. Yeah, what kind of stuff are you drawn to for personal projects? Uh, things that have, that have absolutely nothing to do with uh, either conflict or, uh, <laughs> uh, or diseases, outbreaks, or natural disasters. Mm-hmm. But... But in this case, for example, I have a friend here in Sweden who has uh, started a chocolate, ethical chocolate making business. Hmm. So I was interested in making a short documentary about this on how uh, we can uh, reconnect to the origin of something and making it sustainable in the process. Well, that's not quite as lighthearted as the direction I go when I'm not doing other work. My first feature was uh, a documentary about kids performing a Star Wars musical. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I had come back from the Congo, which was particularly a not enjoyable trip. And I just said, I have to make something funny. And so I made a feature documentary about that which is on Netflix uh, now, which is crazy. It's like more successful than anything else I've done. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Oh, thanks. It's just funny because it, it was quite the extreme. You know, the only common denominator was kids, which I guess mm-hmm. I might have been drawn to at the time.